The harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Why did he use that word? God goes to extreme measures to bring the loss to himself. The greatest gift you will ever give this world is your intimacy with God. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all three inside of me. I've got the power right now. I think what Jesus really wants is people to go. I want to be the answer to Jesus' prayer request. Welcome to the Fuel for the Harvest podcast. When this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. Hey everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of Fuel for the Harvest. I'm Nathan. I'm Charlie. We're your hosts for today. And Adrian Dupre is joining us once again on the podcast. So excited to have him. He is an evangelist, itinerant preacher, and uh, really knowledgeable about various topics. Today, we are continuing the Worldview series, and we're going to actually talk about atheism. Uh, Now, we realize that could be a broad topic. Atheists could have so many different beliefs. So Uh, On this one, we're not going to go through our questions exactly one by one because how did the world originate or what's the human problem or uh, what's their end goal or vision? I mean, it could be different from atheist to atheist, but what we are going to talk about are the potential uh, patterns that we see throughout most of them and how we can engage them as believers. So Adrian, uh, why don't you kind of just start off and, and tell us uh, what's your engagement been like with atheists? Maybe you have a quick story or something, and then you could just dive in to share, hey, what, what, what's their beliefs? What do they actually believe about life and about the world, and how could we engage them as followers of Jesus? Okay, Charlie, let me, um, let me start by saying, let me qualify the concept of atheism real quick into two different categories. You have an honest skeptic, and a dishonest skeptic that you're going to come in contact with. An honest skeptic is someone who's actually seeking or searching honestly. And if you prove it to them using the different things that I'll teach you guys here in the next few minutes, then they jump in. They're all 100% in. I've seen a bunch of those. Maybe, I don't know if I've seen over 100, but up to 100 of those types of people. For some reason, God has made me in my uh, 30 years of preaching like an atheist magnet. I love it. But I've also seen the other kind, the dishonest skeptics. They're asking question after question after question, and they couldn't care less if you could prove it to them or not. If you prove it to them, that's not going to affect them. They're going to the next question. That's called dishonest. That's what I call dishonest uh, skepticism. Uh, like one time I was on a flight. Uh, this is a dangerous little story, but also, this is a horrible story, actually. I was on a flight with a, 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 a lady sitting next to me. And I, I said, well, what do you do, ma'am? She said, I'm a professor of leisure at East Carolina University. So I put my feet out in front of me and put my hands behind my head and said, professor of leisure, huh? Boy, I could, I could major in leisure. <laughs> it was the wrong thing for me to do. I insulted her profession, which is not smart. It's not how you're supposed to share the gospel. She clearly got mad at me for doing it. So I was sorry. I'm so sorry. I messed up. I thought it was a joke, but it didn't really work. Bless my heart. She said, well, what do you do? I said, I'm an evangelist. I go around the country telling people about Jesus. She said, well, I'm an atheist. I said, well, let me find out what kind of atheist you are. There's my little test. I held up a Delta Airlines cup. Sometimes I use a pen. Sometimes I use a I held up a Delta Airlines cup here, and I said, uh, uh, I can prove to you that this is a Delta Airlines cup. She looked at me. She said, I don't think you can prove anything to me. I said, well, you're, you're probably right. Uh, um, you're insane. She said, what? I said, well, everyone on this plane believes that this is a Delta Airlines Cup. Everyone thinks it's a Delta Airlines Cup. 
you have stepped outside of the parameters of reality. That's called insanity. When someone steps outside of the parameters of reality, she was so bad. Her face turned red. I should never have got. It was a horrible illustration. All right, let me give a better illustration. One time, one time I was I was at a youth camp in Michigan, and uh, and a bunch of youth pastors were in there, and it was awesome. There were about fifteen hundred students, and there were about thirty youth pastors in there. And I was training them, and this youth pastor brought this guy in with a grunge hairdo. This is back in the day, just for like. But he had a big old grunge hairdo, had piercings all over his face, and he. He, uh, he came walking, and everyone got quiet. I said, Adrian, can you help this guy? I said, I don't know. What's the problem? He said, he's an atheist. I said, well, let's find out what kind of I had a pencil in my hand. I said, I can prove to you that this is a pencil. He looked at me and said, I don't think you can prove anything to me. I stood up and walked out of the room, had my hand on the door, walking out. The youth pastor said, where are you going? I said, I can't help him. He's insane. What do you mean he's insane? I said, well, what do you guys think this is? Pencil, 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 all the way around the room. He doesn't think it's a pencil. He's, uh, he's, he stepped outside of the parameters called reality. I can't help here if he doesn't think this is a pencil. And I started turning to walk outside the door. The guy said, all right, it's a pencil. I turned around and said, okay, good. We can start there. 30 minutes later, he gave his life to Christ. Now, uh, this, is, this is pretty interesting stuff here. What do I use? I use, um, if you guys don't mind, I'd like to get into how I lead uh, an atheist to Christ using science. I don't use faith. I don't think faith will work when you're talking about this. I don't start with the Bible. Actually, I do it like a, a clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock. 12 o'clock is the existence of God. 3 o'clock is Jesus claims to be God. 6 o'clock is miracle. 9 o'clock is Bible. Now, I never start with Bible. It's got too many holes in it uh, uh, philosophically to start with the scriptures. You can't really do that. How do you know they're doing this? How do you know that? Uh, but I can get to the Bible eventually, but I start every atheistic con uh, 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 conversation with the ex existence of God, because that's what's on the table in the first place. Does God exist? Is there a God? Is there such a thing as a God? I was, um, I went to a school called Furman University, and my wife was on a team. She was getting her master's in chemistry. She is a valedictorian. I was a thank you, Lordy. You understand what I'm saying? She's really smart. She was getting her master's in chemistry. She's part of the team that brought a guy into Furman. We were paying him at Furman to do to publish a paper that he was getting an award for that paper of mega bucks, mega bucks. Uh, um, uh, his name was Dr. Donald Coffey. He's the head of the. Uh, uh, what, what's the name? Uh, I forget. Euro, urological. He's the head of the, the seat of the urological uh, at the John Hopkins University, the, 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 uh, the famous medical school, John Hopkins University. He's the head of the urological department. He's the seat of the urology. So there's a brilliant guy, brilliant in DNA, brilliant in studying, just brilliant guy. So I followed him all day long because I was a pre-med major, biology, physics, and chemistry. So I wanted to hear what he had to say about DNA, and the guy was just flooring me. It's awesome. I love, I love, I love, I love science. And when you're talking to an atheist, you better love science or you're in trouble. They'll, they'll chew you up and they'll chew you up. Sorry, that's not a good song. But um, uh, uh, man-eaters. Okay, so let's keep going. So, um, so I was following him, and then he got to the part where he's going to publish the paper. He's going to produce the paper uh, that he wrote on DNA. I was sitting in the front row in the middle, had my coat and tie on. 
I was trying to be mature. Scientists from all over the Eastern Seaboard had flown in to hear this guy produce this paper at, at Furman and, uh, and, uh, or publish the paper there. And he has a giant screen on the board about three quarters of the way through the talk. There's a 30 by 30 foot screen and he had a laser pointer. He said, and he had a giant lake up there. And he said, gentlemen, scientifically speaking, what are the chances of us getting DNA as we know it, DNA as we know it from this lake? Well, what you guys probably have never heard about, maybe you have in, in your biology classes that it's been in your public high schools, you, they probably talk about this stuff or in any kind of, uh, they talk about the Miller-Urey experiment. The Miller-Urey experiment was an experiment that put an electrical charge into what they called a primordial soup, and they came up with a, uh, a nucleotide. And they celebrated in, in the 60s about how now we know how evolution happened and we evolution had to have happened this way and it was awesome. But it, a nucleotide, finding a nucleotide out of a, an electrical charge is like finding a brick in your backyard and figuring out exactly how the Empire State Building was made because a brick compared to the Empire State Building is a nucleotide versus DNA. I mean, they're not even close, not even compared. And plus, it didn't have any oxygen, O2, in the, in the primordial soup. Because if it had any O2 in there, then there would be no more milliurea. It would have blown up. If you have one put electrical charge and no oxygen, it blows up. So but the, the earlier Earth's atmosphere, according to uh, you know, secular uh, geologists, was saturated with uh, O2. It was saturated with, with like a hyperbaric chamber. That's why mankind could live for so long, for so many years, because it was like a hyperbaric chamber. Uh, UV light couldn't get through and so on. We don't need to get into that. But I'm just saying, it's, it's very interesting to me. Uh, that O2 was not in their, in their primordial soup, which was a lie. They lied about it. There was a pretty interesting stuff. And when it all came out, all these things are still found. There's a book called Icons of Evolution by uh, Jonathan. This went blank on his name. Icons of Evolution. If you guys don't mind, look up that, that name for me and find out the name, the name of the author. Icons of Evolution wrote a book on the 10 major icons that are mentioned in public high school textbooks today. And all 10 are scientifically inaccurate, lied about, wrong. All 10, every one of them are wrong. You have been taught wrong about evolution this whole time, your entire life. All of you guys who believe in evolution, you're being completely lied to. Let's get back to the story about- That book is by uh, Jonathan Wells. Jonathan Wells, okay, it just came to me right when you said it, uh, because you said it. Okay, so watch this now. So, so, um, so the guy gets to the screen and says, gentlemen, scientifically speaking, how do we get DNA from this lake by lightning striking primordial with the Miller-Urey experiment? This is how evolution got started, quote unquote. He said, the, the, the chances of us getting DNA from this lake by lightning striking is the same chance of you taking an infinite number of monkeys, an infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of typewriters. For those of you millennial dudes up there, it's uh, uh, laptops infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of typewriters and one monkey by accident tapping out perfectly all the volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. For the younger crowd, it's a Wikipedia. So what are the chances of a monkey type, <laughs> tapping out perfectly by accident all of Wikipedia? He said that's the same chance of DNA being made by lightning striking primordial soup, by lightning striking a lake. I almost came out of my seat. I was going, oh, this is awesome. This is great. I was like, hold on, but I had to, had to keep my composure, don't make any noise. Scientists from all over the eastern seaboard behind me are mumbling. They're all, they're all mumbling. The next slide is a giant ape right next to a giant man. And they had the double helix uh, 
DNA strands underneath them. And, and he starts talking about how they're 95% the same DNA. I'm going, oh, no. And I'm sinking in my seat thinking, he's going to say that we evolved from apes. Are you kidding me? What's going on here? And then he circles one difference on the ape that would have to mutate to make the man. He says, now there's thousands of differences in one DNA cell that have to mutate to make the man. But it's like, what are the chances of this one? And he circles one with his laser pointer. This is stunning, stunning revelation for me. The, the chance of this one out of the thousands that would have to, the chance of the one part of this DNA cell mutating to make man would be the same chance if you taking an infinite number of monkeys with an infinite number of typewriters and one monkey by accident and top it on perfectly all the volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Same exact illustration. I'm stunned. I'm speechless. People are talking out loud. Man, this guy's a fake. What are we doing? Why are we in here? People are mad at this guy. The next slide, listen carefully, is a giant Bible opened up at Genesis 1-1. And is laser pointed, underlining Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He said, gentlemen, scientifically speaking, the only way we can explain how DNA got here is there has to be some kind of higher power to make it. There's no way it could have gotten here. Like, for example, let me give you an example of what he's talking about here. If you're walking on the beach and you find an iPad on the beach, the iPad's on the beach. There's two ways it could have gotten there. The ocean could have made it by accident. <laughs> made it by accident. The other way is somebody dropped it. Well, which one do you believe? Order, the iPad proves that somewhere there's an iPad maker. A watch proves that there's a watch maker somewhere. There's no way a tornado could go through a watch factory and put a, put a watch together. If you have order, there has to be a higher order to create the order. DNA is thousands of times more intricate than a watch than an iPad. It's so intricate, so detailed. Everyone has their own personal DNA. That's not like anybody else's DNA in the world. I mean, you can tell who your relatives are. You could take DNA, he said, take it back to, you know, exactly who your mom and dad are, exactly who your grandparents are, great, 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 great. He said you could go back to two original human beings. He called them one time in a classroom, Tony and Diane. I said, I, I'm going to go ahead and call them Adam and Eve. I don't know why you don't call me Frank. My name's Adrian. I mean, what are you doing that for? So, and, and students were laughing in the class. He said, I knew somebody would say that. So, so uh, uh, we went on. We go back to two original human beings, DNA by itself. So I am holding on to my seat. I'm rejoicing and having a great time. These scientists are walking out of this building like in, in droves. Whoom, slamming the door behind them. They're all mad. My wife invites me back to the green room. The green room is uh, where they had Dr. Donna Coffey was, and uh, she's part of the team, so she was back there with them. And some other, you know, the, uh, the mucky mucks of a firm and all the leaders are back there, and, I, and then me. So I'm back there, and I'm standing in line waiting to talk to Dr. Donna Coffey. At the end, I waited at the end, we'll let a bunch of people get in front of me. I walked up to him and said, Dr. Coffey. Now, I actually called him. This is in my book, uh, the Christian Man Laws. Uh, uh, the story is in my book. Christian man, I called him and got permission to put it in my book. So um, I said, Dr. Coffey, um, I really appreciate you bringing up the metaphysical aspects of creationism. Uh, I don't know what really what metaphysics really means. I don't know who does. It's metaphysics. So, uh, um, but I want to use the biggest word I've ever used in my entire life to make the guy think I was smart. So I, I, I said, preacher, bring, bring, bring up the metaphysical aspects of creationism. He says, yes, I'm very interested in metaphysics. I said, well, let me ask you, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? Go ahead. He, I said, are you a Christian? 
Dr. Donikoff, he said to me right there with, with a fierce look in his eye, looked me straight in the eye and said, no, I just think science should start being honest about some of these things. Now, if he had said he was a Christian, I couldn't use this illustration. He's probably lying about it. But if he's not a Christian, why would he lie to ruin his career? Why would he lie to ruin his reputation? Now, he had tenure at John Hopkins University, and he's still there now. But why? No, he's not going to lie about it. So, so I'll say this now. I'll say this now. I have used this illustration across the board to lead a lot of people to Christ. There's no way because of DNA that you're an accident, that you've evolved from anything. Uh, evolution, like uh, um, I, I use two words. This is, uh, uh, did you have a question, Nathan? Did you want to ask something, Nathan? Yeah. Uh, one of the arguments that, cause I've tried to engage these kind of conversations too. And one of the arguments that I've heard that I don't have a great answer for, and I was wondering, um, with regard to the whole, uh, probability argument, I think a, a famous guy named Richard Dawkins, he's a evolutionary, like big wig dude. <laughs> he said, um, you can't talk about probability when it talks comes to evolution because like what's the probability that we have the world we have today he would say well it's a hundred percent because we do have the world we have today um and so he kind of throws out those probability arguments and i'm just kind of curious what how do you engage with those kinds of thoughts yeah i had a i had a debate with an atheist uh, a professor of anthropology at the university of south carolina and, and it was in front of a couple, 250 students. I asked him if I could bring the football team in. He said, sure, bring them on in. So it had half the football team was sitting in the back. It was very intense. And he asked that same question. You can't use probability because with an infinite amount of time, the probability it gets higher and higher and higher with an infinite amount of time. I said, yes, that's true, except for two words. After I told him these two words and described them and defined them, this atheistic professor drops his shoulders and says, whoa, you're more scientific than I am. I said, yeah, why are you teaching this stuff? He says, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I should become a Christian. I'll get to the definition of the words in a second here. Right when he said that, maybe I should become a Christian, the students started yelling at me. A big kid in the front middle stands up and starts yelling at me. The football players in the back said, shut up and sit out. I, so I got nervous and sat down. I said, listen, guys, you don't have to defend me. I got a little something, something. I don't, I don't, if the guy beats me up, so what? I don't care. I'll get better eventually. Maybe God will heal me. I don't know. But, but the, the, I said, young man, don't, don't, don't be angry with me. Just use science. He said, well, we have the same nucleotides, basically. We have the same nucleotides as plants. I said, oh, you mean we have the same nucleotides as plants? I said, they have three. We have four. So you're close, three-quarters close. I said, what's your point? If we have the same nucleotides, then we must come from a common ancestry. I said, hold on a second. You mean to tell me? I said, give me a business card. Someone brought me a business card. I said, bring me the biggest book in the room, biggest book in the room. I said, you mean to tell me that you, these two things, I had a business card and the biggest book in the room, these two things are the same because they use the same alphabet? Are you kidding me? That's what you're saying there. Nucleotides don't explain anything when it comes to DNA. There's millions of them, millions. I mean, you're killing me, Smalls. And the guy sat down, didn't have anything else to say. Uh, that, that professor actually... Uh, uh, I believe he said he calls himself a Christian atheist now, which I don't know what that means. It's an oxymoron, but he's asked me to debate him again in the university of Chicago where he's teaching now. And I'm thinking about doing that debate up there. I've had about eight of these debates against atheists and I, I kind of, God has given me favor to have won every one of the debates because of the two words I'm about to say. These two words are, uh, 
I forget the guy who wrote the book called Darwin's Black Box. Uh, Keller, maybe? I, I forget. You guys look it up. Who, who wrote the book called Darwin's Black Box? It's funny. I'm getting older. I can't remember stuff as much as I used to. Shut up for all of y'all who are laughing at me. So I'm just saying, the name of the book is Darwin's Black Box. Now, Darwin's Black Box are these two words. Philip Keller, that's his name. I just remember. Philip Keller's his name. Wrote the book called Darwin's Black Box. Um, I wish to goodness when they had the monkey trials back in the day, I wish to goodness they had people who knew stuff that we know today about the monkey trials when they made evolution look like it's it true and all this stuff. They, these different Christian uh, preachers and whatnot were on trial and talking about how the Bible doesn't say this way. Uh, don't use the Bible when you're talking about this smack. Are you kidding me? Use science. Okay, here, the two words are irreducible complexity. So what does... What is irreducible complexity? Irreducible, which means not reducible. Ir, not reducible. Complexity means complexity. I don't know what that means, but uh, irreducible complexity. Darwin said in his book, Origin of the Species, okay? So what Darwin said, my brother, which is the reason, uh, reason why I've studied this stuff in great detail, because I want to leave my brother to the Lord, was an atheist, uh, helped out by a lady named Ayn Rand in her books, Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead which is, she was a, a famous woman who was kicked out of Russia, excommunicated from Russia as a, as a capitalist and, and, and capitalism. It was the priority of her writings and whatnot. And, and I'm a capitalist as well. I love capitalism. At least I love a free market enterprise, free market system. Um, uh, and the reason why it works is because of Christianity anyways. I mean, who's your daddy? We don't need to get into that, but I'm just saying um, uh, uh, she died as a hermit in New York city and it was interesting how she's the one who led my brother to be an atheist because one of her premises, one of the premises of, of Ayn Rand is selfishness is actually a virtue equal to love. If you're selfish, it's a wise thing because it's survival of the fittest and evolution is true and all these other things. So selfishness has to be true. Love is contrary or even wanting to adopt somebody is anti-evolution. Uh, why would you adopt? Why would you want not you want your seed to be? Uh, 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 your genetics, your DNA to be the source of, uh, of life. You don't want to, you don't want to adopt. So adoption, anyone who has a concept of adoption kind of proves there's no such thing as evolution, but let's keep going. There's two different types of evolution before I go any further. There's macro evolution, which is evolution within a species. I can prove that's true scientifically. Macro evolution, like the woolly mammoth, it's not a short haired elephant. Uh, environmental conditions have determined what the hair looked like on an elephant. Uh, they went from very cold to very warm, very hot. Uh, mankind is basically taller today. Those are all evolutionary developments. I can prove that's true. But microevolution is evolution from one species to another. I'm about to prove that that's impossible. You ready for it? I'm about to actually prove it's impossible using concepts, scientific-type concepts. The two words are irreducible complexity. What does that mean? I played football in college, so I'm not really smart. I like the cookies to be taken off the top shelf, put on the bottom shelf. Bottom shelf cookie guy, let's explain irreducible complexity. A mousetrap is irreducibly complex. Like take the wooden plank of a mousetrap. Uh, imagine, if you will, a mouse walking up on that and having a heart attack and dying for fear of what that thing's going to be in the future. If you add the little spring bar to it, you know, you know fasten the spring bar down to it, you're going to catch a few more mice. Add the trap bar that hooks onto the spring bar. You know, get your finger, get your finger out of there. You're gonna catch a few more mice. Add the little bar that holds the trap bar in place, holds it back when you set the mouse trap. You're gonna catch a few more mice. Add the plank that triggers it. You're gonna catch a few more mice. 
add the cheese to their filet mignon or they carnivorous don't know the peanut butter peanut, they love peanut butter add the peanut butter to it you're gonna catch a lot more mice all of you who are listening just say yes i agree say yes i agree okay good yes i agree sound like a robot say yes i agree like a robot you know what i call that yes i, I agree thank you charlie i didn't Appreciate know if you that. wanted us to do it too yes so I-, I wanted you to do it but you weren't, so I kept going because that's that's what I do for a living. Okay, so watch this now. So imagine what I call what Charlie just did is the dumbing of our nation. That sounds kind of violent. Sorry, Charlie. How are you doing? The dumbing of our nation is what happens. See, a guy stands up to writes a 600-page book, and he says with authority, a mouse, imagine a mouse walking up on a wooden plank and having a heart attack and dying from fear of what the thing's going to be in the future. Well, will that ever happen? No, it's not going to happen. So, well, it could have probably, listen, come on, let's use our brains here. Will it ever happen? A mouse walk, see, people say it with authority and people say, oh, yes, I agree. They, they, they say, yes, I agree. See, a mousetrap is irreducibly complex. If you don't have the entire mousetrap, it no longer, that's a silly illustration. No longer functions at a mustard. You have to have the whole thing there, peanut butter on there, set the thing, have to, have, like an eyeball. What percentage of your rods and cones do you need to be able to see? 100%. If you're 99%, you're blind. So evolution says 10% of rods and cones is better than 3% of rods and cones. So you had 3% on a step that went up to eventually 4%, went up to 5%, went up to evolve through time. This is the theory of evolution. To the point where 100% came out, and that's so, so 3% is the same exact as 10%. They're both blind. So the concept of an eyeball actually disproves the theory of evolution. Let's go deeper into the body then, because now we know deeper the more and more we study. See, this is what Stephen Hawkins, he brought up the name Stephen Hawkins. Stephen Hawkins said there has to be a multiverse or some kind of massive computer. So all these stupid movies are coming out. Uh, interstellar and stuff like that came out of Stephen Hawkins. I think came out of his comments that we got here because some kind of massive computer made DNA and sent it here. Some alien brought DNA to here, which I don't know. My question would be if an alien brought DNA, where did their DNA come from? Somebody had to have started it. Somebody have had to have started DNA, the building block of our lives. So, so who, so this guy, Donald Coffey says it had to have been God. So let's break down a cell. Darwin said in his book, Origin and Species, on page 153, that if you show that anything at a cellular level is, is organized or, or ir- he used the, the definition of the term irreducible complexity. He didn't use the two words, but he used the definition. If you show that anything at the cellular level is organized, then his theory of evolution cannot be true. Cannot be true. My brother, that's how I started off on this, uh, uh, used to be an atheist. He's upgraded now. I, I believe he just got saved at uh, my my mother's funeral a couple years ago. Uh, actually, when I was preaching, pretty cool. Um, but my brother, older brother, brilliant, 187 IQ, off the charts, brilliant guy, uh, brilliant guy, was led led to atheism by Ayn Rand and was an atheist. And he called me a worthless mass of protoplasm one time, a worthless mass of protoplasm. That's what Darwin said has to be inside of a cell a worthless mass of protoplasm can't be organized why because if a cell is organized how in the world what made it who can you find a watch on a beach in, in the ocean made it what 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 organized the cell so let's let's just talk about it. Give, let's think about five things that are inside of a cell you have 
mitochondria, you have Golgi apparatus, you have a, a cell wall, you have a nucleus, you have endoplasmic reticulum. Okay, endoplasmic reticulum makes the transfer RNA. We don't need to get details of it. So endoplasmic reticulum. Let's take endoplasmic reticulum out of the cell. Anybody know who's listening? What happens to the cell when you take ER, endoplasmic reticulum, out of the cell? Well, I'm going to tell you. The cell dies. It cannot function without endoplasmic reticulum. If you take any one of those things out of the cell, it, it's, it cannot function. A cell is irreducibly complex. It's a complex mechanism, organism. It's a cell. But if you, take it, if you reduce it at all, it no longer functions as a cell. It's irreducibly complex. A cell by itself proves that you were made by God. There's no way you could have been made by an accident. There's no way, even through time, even through millions and millions and millions and, millions and trillions and infinite amount of time, there's no way you can get order out of disorder unless there's a higher order to create the order. That's what Dr. Donald Coffey said to me, said to us, said to us on this, on this, on this podcast. Science will not allow. That's why the Stephen Hawkins group is going to another multiverse, some kind of other universe. Maybe an alien brought DNA here because there's no way DNA could have gotten here unless it was made by God or some kind of higher power. And if there is, if there is life on another planet, I don't know if there is or not. I, don't know, I really don't care. But if there is, and they sinned because God would have made them, and they sinned, Jesus would have had to come and die for one of them die for them on one of their crosses because he would have died for their world too because Jesus loves the universe even though God says for God so loves the world in our in our version we're, we're, we're in one one world so uh, um, 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 there's no way scientifically speaking you could have gotten here no way you could have gotten here unless God made you so let's what does that mean then let's tackle a tough little question is it okay for us to commit suicide Let's tackle it based on what I just talked about. See, fatalism is the end of, really, philosophically, the end of evolutionary thought. If I'm an accident, then fatalism, the extreme of it, I'm, not, everyone, not everyone's going to do it, but the extreme of it would be suicide in essence. But suicide says, I don't have a purpose. Let me explain something to you. Since God made you, since he made you, I want to. I want to say if he made you, but I want to. Get, since God made you, every one of you who are listening, all of you have a purpose. You were made by God, fearfully and wonderfully put together in your mother's womb, knit together in your mother's womb. God knew you, knew you before you were born. You were made by God, therefore you have a purpose. Suicide from that point on is out of the question because everyone, if you have a purpose, now you might have lost track of that purpose. Let's get back to God and figure out what our purpose is. Let's make Him known on the world. So. That's my heart's cry to all the atheists out there. All of you were made by God. You have a purpose. Wow. I don't know how we got off target there. And no, got on, I don't think, on I don't that. think it's off target. <laughs> I think um, it's on target. Yeah, I think so, it is. It's philosophically it's on target. So that's 12 o'clock, right? Oh, okay. Thank you for bringing me back to my illustration. Yes, sir. What, so what, where is three o'clock or what's three o'clock? Okay. Three o'clock is Jesus claims to be God. So then I go into the, the, the uh, something we did on another podcast. If you want to listen to these other podcasts, find them on the Fuels of the Har Fuel of the Harvest, uh, uh, Fuel for the Harvest. Um, find those other podcasts, but I'll, I'll quickly go over it. Jesus was risen from the dead. Oh, actually, I, I, Jesus claims to be God. I do it three o'clock. 
Then I go to six o'clock miracle. Well, there's only one miracle that we can see. There's two ways to prove something's true. One is scientific method. Uh, what is scientific method? You have a theory, soap floats. The theory, the, the, the uh, hypothesis is soap floats. Uh, prove it. You got to do, do experimentation on it. So experimentation, you, you put soap in the water. It floats. Hey, soap floats. But then you find some soaps that don't float. Oh, oh, it doesn't all float. So that's scientific method. That proves something's true or not true. But you can't prove use scientific method to prove if George Washington was the president of the United States. You can't use scientific method. Uh, you have testimonies. You have pictures. You have. Uh, uh, we didn't have photographs, but so we have a, a artist portrayal of what George Washington would have looked like because we didn't have cameras back then. So, so that would have been you know, someone could lie, someone could embellish, someone could make him a little thinner, like a stronger, like a man, more handsome. You know, you can't really trust that because. So the other way to prove something's true, though, is called legal historical methodology. There's a guy named Simon Greenleaf who was an atheist professor at the, of Harvard Law School. He was a chair of the Harvard Law School. And, um, and uh, he wrote a process called the evidentiary process by which we try people. He was an atheist. He used that process to put Jesus on trial. And by studying it, a year sabbatical, the process, he came back a Christian. And he said, Jesus rose from the dead. So there's only one miracle that we can use. We can't use Jesus turning the water into wine. We can't use the walking on the water because you can't reproduce them. But there is one miracle that you can use legal historical methodology to prove happened, prove true. And that's the evidence that demands a verdict. All the evidence around something that, that piles up, all the evidence. And the one miracle just happens to be the key miracle in all of Christendom. It's the resurrection of the dead. So if 12 o'clock God exists, Jesus claims to be God, how do you prove that? You only can prove that by a miracle. God would have to do a miracle. Well, the resurrection of the dead validates his, his deity. So how do we know he rose from the dead? All the disciples except for John, and John was, they tried to kill John by dipping him, but God spared him and put him on the island of Patmos, dipped him in boiling oil seven times. But all the other disciples will, will, were killed a torturous martyr's death, saying we saw Jesus risen from the dead. They were poor men who had nothing to gain by saying it, but it was true. So they wanted to tell the truth, and all of them died saying we saw Jesus risen from the dead. The evidence goes higher and higher and higher over that. So it still takes faith to believe in Jesus. I'm not saying it's not faith. Of course it's faith, but it's not blind faith. I can't stand blind faith. I think a bunch of Christians are sissies because they have blind faith. I don't, I don't have blind faith when I get on an airplane. I know aerodynamics works. The, the, the rate of acceleration of the wind over top of the, 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 uh, the, the curvature on the, on the, uh, on the wing and the, and the wind going underneath they, they meet together the same, but the wind going over has to go a little faster, which causes lift. I know how that stuff works. I've, I've studied aerodynamics. I know what aerodynamics is. So when I get on a plane, I still have faith, but I have faith in the truth. And that's what I think the secret to Christianity is. I don't believe because of faith, because my parents told me. I think there's a bunch of candy faces out there who believe because their parents told them. Seriously? Come on, those of you listening, don't believe because of your parents. Believe because you studied and you know it's true. Come on, get a job. Read the book of Job. Okay, so, all, so oh, sorry, I got off target there. So my point here is that, is that uh, 12 o'clock is God, 3 o'clock is Jesus claims to be God. The only way to prove that is by miracle 6 o'clock, which is the resurrection. Then we go to 9 o'clock, the Bible. All these things are written in the Bible, but is it unreliable? The Bible actually... The New Testament by itself is the greatest book in all of antiquity. What do I mean by that? 
The second greatest book in all of antiquity is a book by Ulysses by Odyssey. Odyssey by Ulysses, one, one of the two. I can't always get it backwards. I'm sorry. For those of you who are really smart literary people, I praise God for you. Okay, so the second greatest book, we have over 600 copies of that book, translations of that book, Ulysses by Odyssey. 600 copies. The New Testament alone has over 28,000 copies of it, translations of it. Um, um, 28,000. And like, for example, let me give a huge story, huge example. Uh, when, a, when a scholar found the, the uh, uh, Alexandrian text types, and I think it was in the 60s, I'm not 100% sure, but it might have been somewhere in the 1900s, he found the Alexandrian text types. Well, the oldest text type we had before that was called the Byzantine text type, which is where we get the King James Version from. Very important, Byzantine text type, Byzantium, modern-day Istanbul, uh, the text types or a whole bunch of texts were found in that one area. Monks had got them in there, and they, they're, they're dated about 1200 AD. 1200 AD. So the Da Vinci Code comes out and says, uh, the movie The Da Vinci Code and the book that Da Vinci's writing about this stuff says, I think that the, the Catholic Church lied because the oldest translation we have is 1200 AD. I think they lied and made it all up. Jesus was actually married, and all this is a big lie, and they changed the Bible and whatnot. And, and so the Da Vinci Code was based on the, the Byzantine text type. But then we found the Alexandrian text type in the 1900s. Alexandrian text type is dated back to 100 AD. 100 AD, a thousand years apart. When you put the two sections together, the two Bibles together on a computer to analyze how close they are, 97 point something percent the same as each other. They haven't changed hardly at all. And the ones that have changed, we have brackets in our Bibles, the earliest, most reliable manuscripts don't have. Uh, I think it's Matthew 17, verse 21, Mark chapter 16, verses, the last several verses of Mark 16 are not in the Byzantine, or, or sorry, they're in the Byzantine, but they're not in the Alexandrian text type. So the earliest, most reliable manuscripts don't have these things, the Masoretic text. We don't need to get into the names of those different texts. So the Bible is actually accurate. There's tons and tons, uh, 40 plus different scholars, uh, I mean, writers, one theme that's a literary phenomenon uh, archaeologically it's never been disproven at all ever ever archaeologists read the bible to figure out where to dig it's never been disproven wrong the book of mormon on the other hand has never been proven true <laughs> it's, it's exact opposite bless our hearts um so the bible's got a lot of evidence behind it but you can't start with the bible you end with the bible so now we have the whole clock and you have an arrow going from the bible to god Arrow going from God to Jesus, arrow going from Jesus to miracle, arrow going from miracle to Bible. You have arrows going across the circle. You have arrows going back and forth to each other, and it's a circle of reason. You break into the circle somewhere, you can show that, Je that there's a God and that God exists and that Jesus is God. Awesome. That is excellent. Um, and, and for you guys who are listening, um, the, just take note of the fact that some of those arrows, like what Adrian is saying, they go in different directions. So you, you go one, three, six, or yeah, one, three, six, nine, or, or sorry, 12, three, six, nine. But um, it's also like, you'll have people say, okay, so you can trust the Bible. Well, you can trust that what's in the Bible was in the Bible at 100 AD. But how do you know that what is in the Bible is true? Well, that's when you draw the line backwards to Jesus and the resurrection. So that's kind of, just, just take note of that. That's kind of how that works. Amen. Awesome.
Well, that was super helpful. Thank you, Adrian. I think uh, sometimes it, it can feel like, I think, to those who are listening that reaching out to and sharing the gospel with atheists can be, feel like an enormously difficult task. And uh, I think that what you shared can make that more helpful, giving us some practical tools. Uh, we've also shared in the podcast earlier on the most simple tool of sharing your testimony and people hearing, hey, here's how Jesus has changed my life. This is why I follow him. He's real. He's alive. Look what he's done. This wouldn't be if it wasn't for him. And so definitely start with that. And then as you're saying, now what do I do? How do I keep building as I'm out in these places, what we're calling the harvest fields, what Jesus called the harvest fields? These kinds of tools can help you build from there. And what do you continue in these conversations? So, yeah. Um, I want to make another comment. Um, I've said several times on different podcasts and different preaching style that I'm not very smart. I've said that several times. I got a 15 on the ACT, 770 on the SAT. Um, but that is absolutely, for those of you who are listening to me who are like me, ADHD, QCG5, 17, set HUD, issues, squirrel issues. For those of you who are like me, not very smart. Like when, I, when you heard me say these things about uh, the uh, irreducible complexity, and I, I drowned all of you. Those of you who are thinking that way, like me, that's me. That is a lame excuse you to stop because you don't want to work and let me just say this right now you better dog on put on your big boy pants your big girl pants and let's start studying and working now it's a lame excuse i've heard people say i share the gospel by how i live well, that's good i'm not saying that's bad it's not bad that's good but that's only one wing of a bird i can't imagine a bird flying without the other wing so the scripture makes it clear that it has to be your lifestyle, how you live, and the words that you speak. Both of them are in scripture. So don't you give me some lame excuse that you're not smart enough. I'm not smart enough, but I studied my face off so I can help people. Scripture makes it clear. I want to study and show myself approved, a workman who correctly handles the word of God. Someone who's ready to make a defense at any point, an apologetic. The word apologetic comes from that Greek word, apologia, who's ready, which means defense. I want to be ready to make a defense. Apologetics does not mean I'm apologizing. It means I'm defending. That's what it means. That's what we just did. Because I've studied my face off, now you get the benefit. I'm not doing this for you. Those of you listening, I'm not doing it for you. Don't get the big head. We're not talking about narcissism here. I'm doing it so that you can teach somebody else. And let the trickle effect happen. Listen, the greatest amount of joy you'll get when you learn this stuff, when you study, is seeing somebody else get it. That is a great amount of joy. Yes. A great amount of joy. So don't use some lame excuse that I'm using all these big words and whatnot. If I can do it, football, if it wasn't for football, I never would have played. If I can do it, you can do it. You understand what I'm saying? So let's get after it, not be some sissy face. Mm. And well, thank you, Adrian, for joining this episode. Uh, if you guys want to connect with Adrian, I know his website is adriandepray.com. That's A-D-R-I-A-N-D-E-S. That's press. P-R-E-S dot com. So I can't spell, obviously. So <laughs> I have to sound it out. Uh, or forgeforward.org. Uh, he's there on the website. You can check it out. Contact him if you're interested in, in learning more. 
but yeah, thanks, Adrian, for joining. It was a blessing to have you. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining another Fuel for the Harvest podcast, and we'll see you next time.